Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Take up the, uh, the insert sheet. We're going to have our Bible reading now. We're going to be looking at Revelation uh, chapter 14 uh, to chapter 15. If you remember last week, we saw the, uh, the extraordinary work of the dragon and two beasts. And we see here John having another vision. Let's listen to God's word to us. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who followed the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. 
So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the, from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. These are God's words to us. Now, I'm no gambler, you'll be glad to, to know, but I, I imagine that the rush of picking a horse um, and that same horse winning must be, must be quite something, that the problem with it, obviously, is that you don't actually know who's going to win. And I wonder if life sometimes can feel a little bit like picking a horse for a horse race. We, we, we want to back the winner. We want to give our life to what matters. Uh, we want to invest in what endures. But but sometimes it can feel like we're not sure who the winner is. Last week, if you were here, we saw the extraordinary schemes of the devil in Revelation uh, chapter 13. The way he uses state power to allure people to worship him. The way he uses a, a fake gospel and prophet to, to get people to worship him. And we, we saw how good it looked. There was authority. There was power. There was privilege. And going against the beast meant exclusion and even death. And in the face of it all, who are we meant to back? You know, how do we know who the winner is? Now, I know as, as Christians, we're meant to pick Jesus, of course. But, but when we look around us, it, it doesn't always look like he's the winner. Christianity looks weak. Perhaps you're, you're, you're feeling that this morning. You're feeling the pull of a life away from Jesus. It just, just looks so much better. But as we've seen time and time again in the book of Revelation, John pulls back the curtains of reality and shows us what's really going on. And here in chapter 14, John has four visions uh, to do just that, to show us the true winner. Now, it does feel a bit of a shame to... Uh, to ruin the punchline at the start, but the, the answer is, not surprisingly, the Lamb. Uh, Jesus, remember, Revelation can be summarized as the Lamb wins. 
And we're going to see it again today, big time. Okay, it's amazing what we're going to see. And right in the middle of this chapter in verse 12, we hear these words. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. In the the face of the might, of the prestige of the beast, here again is a call for endurance. Here is a call to stick with Jesus, to keep our worship focused on him, our allegiance with him, backing him with our lives. Because if you you know who the winner is going to be, it's not gambling anymore, is it? It's just winning. And if we know who the eternal winner is, then we know our lives can be lives backing him. So let's get into these four visions and let God show us this morning this magnificent victory of the Lamb. Firstly, we're going to see four things. Firstly, the Lamb protects eternally. The Lamb protects eternally. This first vision is a picture of security and of safety. Rather than a roaming beast standing on the chaotic sea, John sees Mount Zion. The secure, enduring mountain of God. Zion is the name given to the heavenly city, the place where God's people will be for all eternity when Jesus returns. Secure, eternal, glorious. And there on the mountain, rather than the beast, is the lamb. The slain lamb who we met back in chapter 5. Jesus Christ himself with the 144,000. Again, we've met them before back in chapter 7. If you remember, they were the full, accounted-for people of God, sealed and numbered. God's people protected for eternity by the Lamb. He stands a bit there like a, a castle on a, on a, high up on a hilltop, a fortress with high, thick stone walls, unassailable, impossible uh, to breach. The Lamb protects eternally. And he protects, if you notice, by changing us, changing who we are now. Firstly, he renames us. Verse 1, who are these 144,000? They're those who have his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is in contrast. It's not the mark of the beast, but it's the name of God. They've been renamed. Secondly, he, he, he keeps us pure. Verse 4, God's people are described as, as virgins. Now, that doesn't mean that the 144,000 are only celibate um, men. Okay, No, again, this is imagery. It's saying they're spiritually undefiled. They've, they've kept pure in contrast to those who've turned to the beast and his ways. This is a group kept pure by Jesus. Thirdly, he transforms us. So he renames us, he keeps us, and he transforms us, he, he, making us blameless. This purity isn't some kind of hide away from everything and, and um, kind of purity. No, verse 4, they, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They are kept pure by Jesus for Jesus. They, they've been redeemed, you notice, to become first fruits for God. Now, first fruits... Uh, are the, the first part of your crop that you set aside as an offering to God. And, and pe- God's people are set aside for him, prepared for an eternity of worship. You know, if you want to spot a Christian, it's someone whose life has been transformed by Jesus. The lamb protects and he starts now 
and he keeps us eternally. It's, it's an all-encompassing picture, isn't it? God's people are secured for eternity by the work of the Lamb. Christians, see the Lamb's victory this morning. In the face of all that the, the, the dragon throws at God's people, Jesus doesn't flinch. He stands. He stands on Mount Zion. He, his people are secure. Back the winner. Back the winner. So that means we don't need to be scared. We don't need to be scared of what the world and the devil may throw at us. Whether temptation in our own hearts or um, persecution or difficulty from outside of us. To, to coin a phrase, they may take our lives, but they can never take our eternal security. We belong to Jesus. Deliver, deliver me from evil, we pray. And here we see he will. We see his power and victory. He will protect from the attacks of the evil one. And knowing this not only means we don't need to be scared, it also means we can see fake gods for who they are. The thing about gods of our world is that they don't protect people, but instead they leave them by the wayside. In the pursuit of glory, people along the way are sacrificed. Just think of the God of materialism. You know, a God that promises blessing through what you own, a promise peace when you have the next thing. It's a, it's a God that protects no one in the end. You get one thing, and there's always the next thing. You get the next Apple iPhone, and they release another. Get a bigger house, and you see your neighbor with a bigger garden. And on the way, it just sacrifices the poor along. They, they kind of become the collateral damage. It's a God who rewards the rich, uh, but leaves the poor destitute in the streets in the pursuit of profit. And we see this as well in the God of liberalism. If you're not liberal enough, you're cancelled. You know, the feminist that Jermaine Greer a while back, a champion of the left, she was cancelled uh, for saying uh, a woman is someone born with a woman's body. And now she's transphobic. If you, if you can't keep up, you're forgotten. But Jesus isn't like that. Come to him and he holds you fast forever. Isn't he wonderful? What a God. And, and that means there's stability. There's stability to who we are right now. To know we are protected forever means our foundation stays secure. Rather than always wanting the next thing, we can be content today. The Lamb protects eternally. Back the winner. That's the first vision. Second vision, we see the lamb judges perfectly. Now, in this vision, John sees three angels, if you remember when we read it. Three angels, and he hears their three messages. And these are messages of judgment. Have a look with me at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Did you hear the command? It was fear God. Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. The eternal gospel the gospel for all people in all places in all times, it's a call for repentance because judgment is coming. The gospel promises judgment. 
Then the second angel begins and he starts to proclaim the future. He declares the beginning of the end. Babylon has fallen, he says. Babylon is a city uh, we're going to meet further in chapter 17 and 18. But, but again, it's symbolic. You know, Babylon, the real city, ceased uh, to exist long before Revelation was written. But it's, it symbolizes ungodly world powers. Powers drunkenly intertwined with the beast. And perhaps for the first readers, it was, it was Rome. But, but Babylon is a city that reeks of immorality. She is drunk. She gets her neighbors drunk or um, lured into sexual sin. However grand and powerful she looks, Babylon has fallen. And with the end of Babylon, so the third angel announces final judgment. If you notice, the final judgment is actually the fruit of Babylon's worship. Verse 9, another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Before, uh, Babylon had been making nations drink the wine of the passion, or actually, if you notice the footnote, the wrath, the wine of her wrath of her sexual immorality. But now... She and others is the one drinking the wine of the wrath of God. The one who is seeking endless pleasure and rest is punished with never-ending torment and wrath. Verse 11, they have no rest day or night. This is a sobering vision for us on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Those whose allegiance is to the beast, whose hearts are turned... Uh, to worship him and the dragon, those who have ignored God, refused to give him the glory, will face the eternal wrath of God. This isn't like the wrath of a teacher who kind of flies off the handle when a pupil does something wrong. No, this is the deserved, right, just punishment on sin against an eternal and infinite God. It is the fruit of our actions. Justice will come. Those who've loved the lies and hated God will be brought to justice. Now, this passage is obviously imagery. There's fire, there's sulfur, there's smoke. Elsewhere in the Bible, we get darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. But even though the reality is going to be different, hell won't be less than these images. Instead, it'll be more. It'll be worse. Those who've rejected God, who've made kind of man-made things of more worth than him, will drink the wine of God's wrath. That may be your family member, your colleague, your child. That's your kind next-door neighbor as well as the abusive father down the road. And we may find this difficult, difficult to hear, difficult to consider. You know, we may be thinking, what have they done? What have they done to deserve eternal torment? And when our hearts struggle with this, I think it's because we, have, we haven't quite understood deep down both the eternal and infinite worth of our gods, and also the horror and the wickedness of sin. Because we know in our general world, the importance, that the greater the importance of the person we sin against, the greater the punishment. You know, we hit a friend, we hit a police officer, we hit the queen. You know, the punishment will reflect those different actions, and so it is true 
of turning against the infinite God who created us. This is the promise of the gospel. Judgment is coming. Coming for those who refuse to fear God and give him the glory. The Lamb judges perfectly. Now, knowing that judgment is coming on Babylon, those who worship the beast, it's really important for us to know that the world around us looks so successful. It looks so alluring, so intoxicating. Whether it's the actual pleasures of just of getting drunk and sleeping around, it looks so easy and so pleasurable. Our world calls for our allegiance to their God of pleasure. Enjoy life. Make the most of it. Just go out. Do what you like. Live life on the edge. Push the limits. Sleep with whoever you like, whenever you like. It's so alluring. Why should I miss out on the fun? But the Lamb judges perfectly. We know this immorality, this way that is against God's will, leads to God's wrath. God has said what is good. He said what is good and will judge those who've rejected it. The gospel promises this. Keep, keep going with what is good. Even though we may face persecution now, even though we have to fight against temptation day in, day out, the wrath of God will be far worse. And perhaps this morning, this warning is for you. You know you are living a life rejecting God. You are loving Babylon. But have heard his call to fear him and give him glory. Well, the amazing thing is, the door is open. God welcomes you to find refuge in him through Jesus Christ, his son. As it says in verse 13, blessed are those who die in the Lord. In the Lord, that is with Jesus Find rest with Jesus. But also hearing this ending should lead us to call others back to the Lamb, shouldn't it? The wrath of God is a right but terrible end. As it says elsewhere in Scripture, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He wants people to flee his wrath by coming back to him while there is still time. So let's get out there and tell people. Uh, Listen to C.S. Lewis's words. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. May knowing the Lamb judges means we help help each other and others to the destination of glory and of rest. The Lamb judges perfectly, back the winner Thirdly, the lamb sees completely. The lamb sees completely. Here in the the third vision, John sees two harvests, if you remember from reading it a while ago. Two harvests. The first is a grain harvest. The second is a grape harvest. The first is is reaped by Jesus himself. The the second is reaped by an angel. The first, we assume, therefore, is of uh, the saved, although it doesn't explicitly tell us, but the second is clearly of those who are not Verse 19, so the angel swung his sickle across the earth, 
and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Again, it's a vision of wrath, of punishment, of those who've rejected God. So why, why a second vision of God's wrath, John? What, what is God wanting us to see differently in this vision? What does it add? Well, I think it's that Jesus will judge the world when it's ripe. Do you notice that? Verse 15, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Then again in verse 18, put in your sickle and gather the, the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. What does that mean? It means our lives, in a sense, the lives of our world mature. Our lives ripen or mature towards a harvest. Lives, lives lived by the power of God, well, they ripen towards a glorious harvest. Lives lived against God ripen towards the winepress of God's wrath. The lamb sees completely. He sees our works and he sees the way our sin can fester and grow and embest, uh, embed. He, he sees how lives lived against him harden and get worse, how they reap chaos and pain. Just think of ancient winemaking, if you cast your minds back, and rows upon rows of vines. Just picture them growing, uh, taking on the nutrients from the soil and the sunshine. They're becoming fat and plump to be picked. And the farmer, he walks the rows, doesn't he? And he sees, he looks. And he sees it's time. And all these grapes are picked. They're cut, thrown into giant wine presses, great troughs where the, the grapes are trodden underfoot until the juices start to flow down into great vats. And those worshipping the beast, those, their lives they become fat grapes, not fat with goodness, but with wickedness, because see what pours out. It's blood. Now, on the one hand, this blood is their own. In military terms, this is a crushing defeat, a slaughter of the enemy. But I wonder if there's more going on in this image. The grapes pour out blood because actually that's the fruit of their wickedness. Being trodden in the wine press of the wrath of God actually reveals what you've ripened on, and it's blood. The blood of persecuted Christians, the blood of the weak. Just think of our, of our world's call to worship freedom. Freedom is our, as our final allegiance. You can worship your God, any God, really, because freedom is the most important thing. And what has it grown on? We have a freedom to kill the unborn child. We have a freedom to destroy marriage and redefine it and leave the vulnerable in our wake. We have freedom to choose what sex we are creating confused and suicidal people. Now, I know those are complicated issues, but it's the blood of the weak we're living off. And in that final harvest, the blood will be on their heads. The blood will pour out for the blood that has been shed. The wine press will reveal all. The lamb sees completely. So as you see injustice around you, the rich get richer, the weak left behind. As we see Christians, our brothers and sisters, 
being killed in Nigeria and Afghanistan. And deep down, you long for justice. You long for God to do something. Well, know that the lamb sees completely. And so justice will be perfect. There won't be cross-examinations to get to the truth. God sees all and all will be revealed. So we can leave vengeance to him. We can know he will get it right. We don't need to take things into our own hands. Now that doesn't mean if someone breaks the law, we let them get away with it. But it does mean we can serve. Because if Jesus sees all, when our boss ridicules bullies us, we can still serve them. If our politicians force their God upon us, we can still love and speak the truth. Why? Because Jesus sees it's in his hands. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that a relief? What a weight lifted. He'll deal with it. The lamb sees completely. Let's back the winner. And finally, the lamb is glorified. This is the culmination of it, of it all. Now in chapter 15, uh, John starts the next section by telling us of seven angels with seven plagues. We'll come back to that uh, next week. But he, he, he then goes back to the final vision of this section. And again, he sees God's people, those singing and playing the harps that we saw at the beginning of chapter 14. And here they're described as those who've conquered the beast. They've made it. And what was key to their success? Well, just listen to their song. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. It's all about God, isn't it? He is almighty. Powerful even to bring victory out of defeat. His ways are just and true. There's no deception here. There's no lies. There's no half-truths. There's no temporary joy and then leaving his followers in the gutter. He alone is holy. Nothing else is like him. Only he is worthy of our worship. God is glorious. And how's it described? Verse 3, this is the song of the Lamb. That doesn't mean it's sung by the Lamb. It means it's sung about the Lamb. The Lamb is glorified. Salvation belongs to Him. For all eternity, brothers and sisters, for all eternity, we will not stop being amazed and captured by the glory and wonder of God and His deeds. That is what eternity will be, singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, our hearts captivated by God Himself. And if that's the finale then, oh, may it be our present too. As Augustine, the church father, said, God, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you've made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's where we find rest. That's where our hearts stop searching, when we are set upon the true God, singing to him, the lamb is glorified. Now, in my humble opinion, one of uh, the great films is called Shawshank Redemption. Uh, it's about a man called Andy Dufresne who's, who's sent to maximum security jail for a murder he didn't commit. And, and somehow, while in prison, despite all that's going on, he seems untouchable. Through the daily grind, 
through the beatings, through the abuse, somehow he can live differently. He lives with poise and purpose. He, he lives gently and for good. And what's driving that, what's fueling him in the film, it's, it's hope. It's hope. Hope of escape, hope of a different life, a better life once he's out. It's a hope of paradise. Hope fuels our lives now. Seeing the finale, seeing the glory of the Father and the Lamb means tomorrow we can walk and talk differently. We aren't held down by the gods of our world. We aren't trapped in the slavery of materialism or of pleasure. Instead, our hope lets us live lives devoted to God's lives of goodness and truth. If Jesus is the winner, it it means we don't need to try and advance ourselves. We don't need to push ourselves up for promotion, pushing others down. We don't need to show off about what we've done. We don't need to try and make our lives look harder than others in order to justify ourselves. Instead, Jesus is the winner. He's the one who has the glory. And so we can enjoy serving him. You know, I don't know, you change another nappy tomorrow. No, it's in the service of the winner. As you, as you face a tough comment from a colleague at work, remember who the winner is. As the temptation to, to make yourself look better by exaggerating or by being loose with the truth, remember Jesus is the winner. He is glorified. So we can be those who are blameless. And that is how we endure. That is how we endure. We set our allegiance with the Lamb. Because the lamb protects, the lamb judges, the lamb sees, and the lamb is glorified. So let's back him with our whole lives. Amen.